Hello, America. I'm Brown Hollyhead, 15-year-old conservative commentator, editor-in-chief of The Truth Gazette. You're probably wondering where I am, Brown. Why are you at the beach? Why are you in a suit? Well, it's Memorial Day week. Um, I'm on family vacation here in the free state of Florida. We've got a great governor here. Uh, but, you know, this opportunity came up to interview this incredible person. And I was like, absolutely. We'll take a day off the beach for this one. Uh, so joining me now is someone that I'm very excited to have on. She's someone I've looked up to for a while. Uh, she's an icon in politics on both sides of the aisle. You know, she's one of the toughest people in politics, men, women. She's one of the toughest up there. Definitely one of the toughest people in Washington. And I'm so excited to have her on today. We've got a lot to talk about. Joining me now is Trump's 2016 campaign manager, former White House counselor and author of the new brand new best-selling book, Here's the Deal. Joining me now is none other than the one and only Miss Kellyanne Conway. Kellyanne, welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, thank you for having me, Brylin. And thanks for your almost five-year incredible success with the Truth Gazette. Good for you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You know more than anybody that we got to be fighting the fake news on the front line. So we, we really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Well, if I may, I think you're doing something else. I think you're curing what I would call information underload. Uh, there's so much information out there, so many facts and figures. So people don't know what to trust, where to turn. They feel like they're inundated with information, but have very little education. And you're really filling in that gap. So keep it up. Well, thank you. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, we were just talking before we came on here. Uh, for those of us that don't know, I posted a picture a few years back and it blew up. Everybody loved it because everybody loves you. But I, I've interviewed every press secretary under President Trump. And I was walking out of uh, the White House press secretary's office from interviewing Stephanie Grisham. And the president had just flew off the White House ground on Marine One. He was heading to a rally. And you were walking into the, um, I believe it was the cabinet room. You're walking into Mount of the Roosevelt room. You're walking down the West Wing hallway there. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're Kelly and Kong. Like, it's so nice to meet you. And you were so warm and welcoming and uh, just made me feel right at home in the West Wing. So I really appreciate it. So I love people, and that would include you. I've, <laughs> I've had a great career of uh, a blessed career of having to go to every single state in this country, Brian, oh. to do a project to sit across from Americans and listen to their aspirations, their frustrations, their recommendations. It's been the gift of my professional career, and I think it also helped when President Trump, uh, Mr. Trump, asked me to be campaign manager. I was ready for that moment because I had been talking not just to likely voters, but to all the unlikely voters, to the non-voters, to the non-registered voters, and trying to find out what are the messages, what are the ideas, what are the issues, what, what are the information deficits they have that he can perhaps relate to and connect with. Absolutely. I mean, most Americans were introduced to you on their TV screens and you were on a CNN debate or on a panel on there, uh, and you were always, you know, fire and fury and doing an incredible job. So I, I know you definitely got to talk to those, you know, Voters that might not have been for President Trump, but you still took the time to talk to them and go on the channels. I'm going to start here. We're talking about your book. I've skimmed, uh, you know, I've read it. I got it through the day. It's really, really, really good. And I think everybody should go buy it. Uh, but your new best-selling book, Here's the Deal, is a memoir about your time in the White House and career working in politics. Uh, you go, you were, you know, you were the longest serving or one of the longest serving members of President Trump's administration. You left just a few months for the end of the White House. Why did you decide to leave the Trump administration after almost four years of serving it? I was very upfront about why I left Brylin. It was for my children. I famously said they, for now, they need more mama, less drama. And much of that was owing to the unfortunate fact that for the second consecutive school year, my children were going to begin online, not offline on campus and in the classroom. And there was a, there is a health director of Montgomery County, Maryland, where three of my children were starting their school year, who just unilaterally decided that the Friday before the few days before school was meant to start. And the reason I say that is let's go back in time from March to June of 2020, everybody complied with stop the spread, stay out of school, stay out of the workplace, all that. I was at the white house seven days a week trying to get right. You know, what was happening, what was going on trying to figure it out as a non, a non-medical person. 
But then everybody was told, go have a good summer. Go get some fresh air. Heat kills the virus. Go, go, go have a nice summer. So if you go back and look, there were a record number of Americans taking car trips or renting RVs. And then boom, August hits and they say, you know, we should really start the school year in masks online again. What? So I went to the president and I said, Mr. President, there's no easy way to say this, but I'm leaving my kids. Me. He said, nope, don't worry about it. Go to your kids. But you stay here to go to your kids. Don't worry about it. I said, I can't, I can't do that. I, I can't. I, I need to be fully there. He said, go take care of your family. We get it because Barron's on, you know, online school also. And um, I just felt it was the right thing to do at that time. I went on and gave my speech at the Republican National Convention that Wednesday night. It was the 100th anniversary of women's suffrage, getting the right to vote. So it was very fitting that it was my homage to the wonderful, strong Italian Catholic women who had raised me. And I got to talk about how the promise of America is guaranteed everyone and gave a couple of really searing and truthful anecdotes about what it's like to work for President Trump as a woman, as a working mother. He was fantastic. He's a great boss for women. We had there, you know, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Ivanka Trump, Brooke Rollins, Mercedes Schlapp and me, the five of us have 19 children, 12 daughters, seven sons. And at the time, between the ages of two and 16, there's no other workplace where we're going to have the highest rank along with the men, that many children, those fraught ages, in school, needing their moms, and be able to do that, do that job, and be there for the children. You mean to tell me that the the same president that the media labeled as misogynistic for four and a half years was actually accepting of women and actually put women in senior roles in his White House? He did, and he and he <laughs> kept it though. But Donald Trump's been doing that forever, Brian. It was a very natural. Um, a very natural thing for him to do because he had been elevating women to positions of power, authority, and responsibility, accountability in the Trump organization, on the Trump, uh, the Trump TV career, The Apprentice, number one show at the time on NBC, certainly the Trump campaign, and then the Trump White House. This is very natural for him. And whereas I know other corporations say, we are family friendly, just look at our handbook, you know, pages 568 to 592. And then they're not really family friendly. Or in the case of the Biden White House, a real man-made disaster, they bragged when they got there that it's an all-male press and com, it's an all-female press and com shop, 100%. It's like, well, of course it is, because the women always get the press and comms jobs as scheduling jobs. President Trump gave me a policy job, and I really appreciated it. Wow, absolutely. That's an, that's an incredible story. Um, you know, you were the first woman to successfully manage a presidential campaign in U.S. history. And we were just talking about women and politics and the left loves to put them on pedestals. They break barriers and you definitely broke a bet barrier, but the media won't give you the time of day. Uh, you know, what did it mean to you to be the first person to successfully manage a presidential campaign? It meant that it's possible. It meant that we're a country always on the move, progressing forward, no matter what the duty or who the person. And in some ways, my path has been very circuitous and very unique. But in some ways, Brylin, it actually is the story of every woman. Just striving, working hard, waiting for a little bit of luck or to get your shot, um, making sure that you, you know, you're doing, you're, you're working with alacrity and integrity, that people trust you, that they respect you, that they want to hire you again. So I've done that for many, many years as a fully recovered attorney and professional pollster in my own company. Um, and for me to make history, I think it, it wasn't just making history with Donald Trump, who put me there, I was making history by stopping Hillary Clinton from making history as the first woman, 
So there was a first woman that year, but it wasn't her. And, <laughs> uh, and I think that really aggravated so many people. And I talk an awful lot about Hillary Clinton, the book, meaning I had been a student of hers. I had watched the way she operated and maneuvered. I saw that she was too much Hillary, not enough Clinton to really connect with people for them to think she's warm. Um, and that people do not see, think of her as ethical or beyond reproach or fresh and new or a peacemaker, consensus builder, problem solver. So I think all that was important, too, because people say, how can you work for him after Access Hollywood? And how can you stop the first female president? Brylin, let me make very clear on the record. I am all in favor of the first female president of the United States. Just not that one. Yeah. And, I'm, <laughs> and not this one that we have now as, as the vice president. So I'm all for it. But who it is matters mightily. Absolutely. We don't just want anybody up there, especially Hillary Clinton. We'll talk about her a little bit more in the interview. Uh, but, you know, I read somewhere the other day that your first ever job was on a blueberry farm. You spent every summer there, seven days a week. Tell us about how the work ethic you learned working on a blueberry farm helped you to work on the first successful presidential campaign as a woman, or led by a woman, and work in the White House later on. Brian, I do credit my time on the blueberry farm as a blueberry packer. So we had to take the pint out of the crate 12 times, put the cellophane, the rubber band. Now it's a clamshell. And now we've been kicked out by machines. We've been outsourced. you know, to machines. But at the time, 40 years ago, that is the job I had for seven straight summers, totally legal to work uh, on the farm starting at the age of 12, eight straight summers with my friends, my family members. We made good coin, but it taught me punctuality. Uh, it taught me responsibility, it taught me work ethic, it taught me teamwork because we all had to do it together. And, you know, the weakest link could drag you down. The, the strongest person can inspire you more in terms of getting it all done. And look, if you're a kid in the summer, you're a tween or a teen and you're in the summer, the last thing you want to do is have to go show up and do farm work at 8 a.m. Are you kidding? And I'm so glad I did. Because what did I miss out on watching more TV or at this point, I'd be on my phone more. I really learned to look people in the eye and to get to know them that way and to learn new crafts and learn the history of the farm. And so much of what I learned on that farm, I applied in the, to the rest of my business life, to the best, uh, to the rest of my management life. And it's a gift that keeps on giving. I encourage people, particularly young people, go ahead and get that summer job or get that internship or take that online class if that's you know more fitting with your life. And something totally different, something nobody told you you have to do, that you must do or that you should do, just something that interests you because that's the time to really try it. And you never know how much you'll expand your mind and your circle of friends. Yeah, talk about really living out the American dream. You went from a blueberry farm to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. So quite, quite the story there to share. That's right. No, and, I'm, and I think that is the American dream, frankly. I think when you can, uh, daughter of a single mom, not to the manor born. Um, my mom used to put clothes uh, on layaway at Kmart. For me, she, you know, she struggled to keep me in a, she was a single mom. She struggled to keep me in the Catholic school and did that for all 13 years, kindergarten through 12. Uh, I think that's a very common, relatable American story. Absolutely. Um, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about your book here. Your book also details your exit from the White House, like we talked about, and then your perspective on the election from kind of outside the bubble, kind of sitting at home for the first time and kind of just watching TV like everybody else was. Uh, you know, you said in your book, quote, I may have been the first person Donald Trump trusted in his inner circle who told him that he had come up short in his time. Uh, at what point after the election uh, did you confront the president? And how did you go about telling someone like Donald Trump that, you know, the election was stolen from him and that there's nothing he could do about it? Well, I never looked at it as um, a confrontation. I was, I'm sad about it. I'm heartbroken. I wanted him to win again. I wish he were the president right now. Don't we all? Yeah, uh, absolutely. 
that everybody's not diluted completely by Trump derangement syndrome. Of course, once Trump gas prices and Trump energy independence and lack of inflation and immigration policies and Putin out of Ukraine and the whole like, Brylin. But uh, that entire section is really me recounting, telling the president, you have, he said, you don't like theft and fraud. I said, well, I don't like those words just because they're crimes and they're hard to prove. So if you start with lesser included, if you say we see malfeasance, we saw improprieties, we have people signing affidavits that they they kept the polls open too long and nonpartisan poll watchers, observers weren't, weren't allowed in. They put cardboard boxes up, a Zuck box. You know, there's so many ways to talk about the rigged election that will bring more people and say, you know what, you're right. I did see stuff like that. Why did they change that in 2020 and just say it was because of COVID? So um, I also always thought it was very upfront that President Trump had every right to pursue um, his objections to the election results until the electors certify the election on December 14th. That is the day. And Hillary Clinton did that. Al Gore did that. And I'm also very frank in the book, uh, not just about Zuckbucks and how ridiculous it was that any grant over $1 million of the $4 million he and his wife, Priscilla Chan, put forward to her COVID-compelled voting measures um, one million. It's great. That sounds like a nice idea, right? Oh, let's make sure everybody can vote safely and they know what's going on. It sounds nice. But then riddle me this. Why in the districts, in the precincts where one million dollar plus was the grant size, did Joe Biden win 92 percent of those precincts? So it's, it's that's that, that's not called, that's not um, coincidence. That's called causation. So I think all these issues need to be unpacked. Pennsylvania was a disaster keeping the polls open late. The secretary of state there. Uh, should have resigned that night in disgrace. So we do have all these different places. But what I told them was it's not Trump versus Gore, where it's, it, it, it's uh, sorry, Bush versus Gore, which just one state, really one or two counties and some 500 and some hanging chads. Uh, unfortunately for President Trump, it was whack-a-mole in so many different states. There were so many different states that um, where, where there were credible allegations of improprieties and irregularities. The hard part is that the evidence never came, that the proof has never come to the point where any state changed their election results, which was the key here. He's telling, you know, if he wants people to decertify the election results or change them or his legal team needed to provide the proof and they did not. You know, in chapter 30 of your book, it's called Collusion, Illusion, Delusion. Yeah. Uh, and it's focused on the Democrats' Russian witch hunt that lasted, you know, majority of this presidency. Um, this week, your 2016 counterpart on Hillary's campaign, Robbie Mook, uh, who was her campaign manager, testified under oath that Hillary Clinton personally authorized the making and leaking of the dossier. What's your reaction to that bombshell admission? And do you think that there will be repercussions for Hillary Clinton? There should be repercussions for a bunch of people, beginning with Michael Sussman. And I think the reason Robbie Mook, Hillary's 2016 campaign manager, my companion, since I was Trump's 2016 campaign manager, so I know him, I think he, there he is under oath in the courtroom virtually, but in a courtroom under oath on the record. And it's very different than what people say as pundits on TV or what you know, folks who maybe aren't as being as honest and forthcoming as Robbie Mook is might say. But he made very clear that Hillary Clinton signed off on the plan and Brylin, one other step farther, didn't sign off on the plan and take this, take these allegations, these credible allegations, which of course were incredible and unsubstantiated and outrageous, that the Trump campaign was colluding with Russia, we were getting help from Russia. Look at this with Alpha Bank. Not only did they not take it to the FBI because they were mad at Comey, but they brought it to the media. Their first impulse was let's share it with a New York Times reporter. Well, why would you do that? You share things with people you trust. Here, I'll share a secret with my best friend here. I'll share a meal with my family. They're sharing it with their friend. Eric at the New York Times. So 
it tells you so much you need to know. It also tells you one important thing I want everybody to hear me very clearly on. I write about this in the book. Here's the deal. That the Hillary campaign had no faith in their candidate's ability to win fairly and squarely on her own without cutting corners, without, you know, without um, cheating, stealing, lying, concocting a, a Russia collusion nonsense narrative. And that's regrettable. And, you know, when people say this can never happen again or that can never happen, that needs to never happen again. Because just as just as the media knew right away, Hunter Biden's laptop is not real. The, the steel dossier is it's different. They knew all of that. They knew collusion was real. They're just going to find it at a time to be announced in the not so near future. And we're yet to be apologized to apologies accepted, except you haven't provided any. Uh, and look, it, I've read reports where about 40% of those first months or year of the Trump administration was consumed with the Mueller investigation and these indictment or these um, investigations and, and whatnot and, and innuendos, uh, 40%. And look at all the stuff he, he was able to accomplish. I mean, if you, if you look at the 40%, it's, um, it's pretty remarkable that he was able to do all the great things he did, given how distracted and how single-minded in their, you know, attack of him. Look, I think that you, you remember the media, you're doing a fantastic job of the Truth Gazette, Brylin, fantastic job. And remember, the job of the media is to get the story. Your job is not to get the president, it's to get the story. And I feel so many people in the media abandon that to try to get the president. Oh, 100%. Uh, you know, on the topic of Hillary, you obviously you know, spearheaded the campaign uh, to her incredible defeats uh, in 2016. We, I think a lot of us thought that maybe she'd kind of ride off into the sunset. We wouldn't hear from her you know, again for a while. Uh, but unfortunately, that's not been the case. She's still been as loudmouthed as ever on The View, on, on Twitter. She's been everywhere. Uh, there's a lot of speculation that she might run for president again. Do you think that Hillary Clinton's you know, trying to add another run for president? Well, Hillary Clinton is deluded enough and still lacks people around her to tell her that's not a good idea enough to do it. Um, she feels like the election was stolen from her in 2016. She conceded that night on my telephone through a call that I detail. And here's the deal, my new memoir, Brylin, I detail the whole call coming from Huma Abedin that night at where Hillary Clinton, Secretary Clinton concedes the race to Donald Trump. And, um, but then she really never conceded it again. You know, she did the next day, but then ever since it has been casting doubt on this election. She sounds like Stacey Abrams of Georgia. <laughs> so I'm so confused. Is Hillary Clinton going to run for a job she thinks she already won? Or, um, but that said, she, she would risk being a three-time loser. And that's rough. That's a very small club of people, of non-distinguished people in our U.S. history, in American history. To lose to Barack Obama in the primaries, Donald Trump in the general, and then to run again in 2024, she'd have to risk being a three-time loser. The other thing is, I mean, look, who can blame Hillary Clinton? She looks up and sees Joe Biden and says, I can do that because anybody can do that. And number one, number two, I didn't realize our party that screams about youth and energy and future is now being run by an angry old white guy. So she probably figures, okay, well, I'll be the first woman just like him. But, um, but look, here's my main beef with Hillary Clinton. It's not as a partisan, it's not as Donald Trump's campaign manager and senior counsel. My main beef with Hillary Clinton is how she spends her time. What has she been doing since she lost five and a half years ago? Where exactly is the Hillary Clinton Center for Women and Girls? Where is it? I'd like to work with them on some stuff that mental health or opioids or uh, self-image, things that are rankling today's girls, but there is no such thing. 
she's been talking about herself, making more money and talking about herself. So I don't know what she would tell people other than grievance or look, you made a mistake. You should have me here. I am. And look, I think people uh, like Elizabeth Warren, maybe even Amy Klobuchar, they're watching. They know Hillary's damaged goods. Kamala Harris clearly doesn't have what it takes. And so they're waiting in the wings, you know, probably thinking Stacey Abrams probably too. I could do this. I could be the first female uh, democratic president. Yeah, 2024 is definitely going to be interesting. We'll talk about that more in a second. Uh, you know, you're one of President Trump's closest advisors to this day. Uh, you know, I spoke with the president backstage in Coleman at his rally in Alabama last year, and I encourage him strongly to run uh, for election. Then do you think President Trump's going to run for re-election uh, in 2024, uh, you know, a third time? He certainly would like to because he sees all this unfinished business that he would have tackled in his second term, was tackling and would continue to tackle, tackle anew. And then also he's like a majority of Americans, Brylin as reflected in everybody's polls at this point, he is so sort of upset about what's happening in this country, the way the Biden people have unraveled the policies and have um, done so out of spite, even more than ideology. He's upset about the lack of energy independence, the Im immigration and border insecurity, the rise in crime and drug overdoses, Putin in Ukraine, Iran staring at Israel's nucle nuclear capable enemy. Um, China not being contained and these trade deals maybe being you know, threatened, maybe not being completely enforced and our police officers, our military, our veterans not having the resources and the respect they deserve. So everywhere President Trump looks is everywhere we all look and we see chaos and crisis, ironically, and a, a great deal of loss and hurt. So that would certainly motivate him. Um, so many people point out to him that they'll never leave him alone. They'll always pick on him and his family. They never make it easy for him. Like people who love him want to protect him from that. But he already knows that. And he already went through that for the last however many years. He loves his country enough to want to run again so much that he would like to run again. I'll leave that decision to him. But I would put the odds at much better than 50-50 at this point in late May 2022. Well, good, good. Uh, we're all looking forward to another Trump run. You know, if the president announced he's running for you know, another term again tonight. If he called you tomorrow morning and asked you to be his campaign manager, would you do it again? Well, I'd have to think about my kids first, as I did the last time. Best and highest use. They're, they're out of the ages and stages now where they uh, that may not work for them. But I think we'll, we'll see what the president wants to do and who he wants to be around him. Um, and I certainly want to get rid of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And if he's feel, if he feel if the founder of the Amer if, if the founder of the America First movement feels that he is the best and, and 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 most willing, that's the key. Of course, he is the best, most willing uh, baton holder to to take that to take that whole movement and go out there again and rebuild and reexcite people. Then that that's great. And of course, I'm going to support. I'm going to support him. I'm going to support the Republican nominee if he decides not to run. I think he goes first, though. Trump, President Trump will decide first if he wants to run, and then we'll see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, last question here today. Uh, in his first, you know, about year in the White House, uh, the first year of the Biden administration, we've seen record high inflation, skyrocketing gas, gas prices, uh, crashing stock market, failure in Afghanistan, and much, much more. Right now, if Joe Biden called your cell phone and he asked you for advice, what advice would you give him? Well, I wish he would, because I've got some advice <laughs> on the drug crisis on behalf of the president, the first lady in the nation. We got drug overdose deaths down for the first time in 30 years. They're now over 107,000 again. There are a couple of things that can be done that aren't being done and even aren't being tried, aren't being articulated. That would mean I want. The, the second thing I would say is acknowledge people's pain. Acknowledge the fact that 
you don't always have to be right. You just have to do right. I'm shocked that this this uh, White House can't do what Donald Trump did, uh, what Donald Trump did, but really what these other Democratic presidents, Barack Obama and Bill Clinton did. Bradland, they faced devastating double digits losses in the dozens of House seats, for example. And in 1992, 1994 with Bill Clinton and 2010 with Barack Obama. And they admitted it. President Obama famously called it a shellacking. Uh, President Clinton said, hey, I'm still relevant here, even though Republicans have won everything not nailed to the ground. I see no course correction in this White House, whatever. So I would tell him, you have to look at the polls and you have to know people are hurting. They're sending you a very loud message that you must echo back to them and solve for them. Immigration, border security, uh, there's all these available jobs. Are they meaningful? Do they pay enough? Uh, what's going on with Putin in Ukraine? What are we waiting for? Why did we have a president? Why, why did he go down to Georgia and lie that there was voter suppression through these new laws where we just had record turnout over 200% up in turnout? So I, of course, I would, I would give him advice because I love this country. I want to help them. I've just seen no evidence whatsoever that the Biden-Harris White House has what it takes. Don't take it from me. Take it from the 13 senior staffers, 13 who have left Kamala Harris's office. My goodness, Brian, it hasn't even been a year and a half. These are dream jobs. First female president, first female president of color. She's turned these dream jobs into a nightmare. And so I would, I would, I would have some advice. I'm just not sure it would be listened to. Yeah, well, I'll, for on behalf I, of all of America. I work for a president who did listen. He heard us. Yeah. He listened to us. Even if he didn't follow our advice and our counsel, it's our job to have provided it. And we did. And then he weighed all the consequence information and he made a decision because he was the guy on the ballot. Absolutely. Well, I hope I hope Joe Biden calls you for the sake of the country. I hope you can give us some advice. But I'm very sure it's out. But keep your phone open. Keep that ringer on. He might be calling you soon. We'll see. <laughs> Brylin, thanks for having me. God bless you. Absolutely. And Thank you so much. Everybody listen, make sure you go grab a copy of Kellyanne Conway's brand new book. Here's the deal at a bookstore near you. Greatly appreciate you doing this, Kellyanne. It really means a lot. Sure, Brylin. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. Brylin Hollyhan here. Thank you so much for watching my interview with Kellyanne Conway. If you enjoyed it, hop on to thetruthgazette.com. Watch some of my previous interviews with people like Donald Trump Jr., uh, Sean Hannity, Ted Cruz, and, and so, many, so many more. Uh, and also make sure that you subscribe to my free email newsletter. It's all again at thetruthgazette.com. And if you're on social media, make sure to follow me there. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Telegram, Truth Social, Gitter. We're on all of them. We're fighting, uh, free, we're fighting for free speech and uh, fighting against big tech. Make sure to follow the Truth Gazette. And for more information, go to thetruthgazette.com. Thank you all so much. Have a great rest of your day.